would take your Bibles before you sit down. Let's read our text. John 5. We'll be in verses 37 through 40 today, but I want to read 30 through 40 so we can continue just to see how all this fits together. John 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. That was our text last week. Now 37 through 40 will be our time today. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You may be seated. So we're going to add another continuing layer in regard to um, the revelation that has been taking place that Jesus has been speaking in John chapter 5, that He is indeed the true Son of God, equal to the Father, and that He is God. And so I want to point our attention. We kind of did a little switcheroo. The cross is usually here, and the boxes are there, but today we've um, had to put them here. And so Jesus, in addressing their attacks on Him in regard to... Um, his, his statement that he's equal with, with God and that he is God. And so um, they, they have a problem with that. And so he shares the different things that he has equal with the Father. And so we establish those things. And then Jesus begins to t- speak about, as he gave testimony about who he was, they have an issue with, you can't give self-testimony. You can't do that in today's law. Um, You've got to have multiple witnesses and and things of that nature. And so Jesus is just speaking, saying, this is who I am. They're like, well, you can't do that. That's against the law. You've got to have multiple witnesses. And so he says, okay, if you want witnesses, I've got witnesses. And so one of the witnesses that we're going to come back to today is the Father. But the second stack of boxes there is the testimony that the Father had already given concerning Christ in the gospel and, and would continue to do so. And then Jesus sets forth, not only do I have the Father's testimony, but I have John the Baptist's testimony. The last Old Testament prophet, he came, and he came to get things together. And so we looked at that several weeks ago where John said he was, um, that the coming Messiah would be mightier than a prophet. John would not be worthy to even carry a sandal. Um, John would speak about the preparing the path, but Jesus is the path. And so, so all of those different things about John the Baptist. And then last week, we just looked at verse 36, where Jesus said, The works that I'm doing give evidence that I am God, and I'm the Son of God by all the signs that I'm doing. And so we looked at, just briefly, um, the things that Jesus does by way of signs in John's gospel. So John 2, he turns the water into wine. John 5, he heals the uh, most likely King Herod's official son who's about to die. Uh, John 5, he hears the paralytic. John 6, he feeds the 5,000. John 6, he walks on the water. John chapter 9, he heals the blind man. And then in John 11, big miracle, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus has been stacking upon stacking these things as to why he can do what he is doing. And so we're going to add one more today in regard to the scriptural testimony. And what does the scripture have to say about who Jesus is? And so... Look with me in verse 37. Let's read 37 um, again, just the first part of it. And then we're, uh, we'll begin to talk about um, further revelation or affirmation of the Father's testimony of Jesus. So verse 37. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me in His voice you have never heard 
in his form you have never seen. And I want to take just the first part of 37, and I want to talk about that um, with us for a moment. And here's the first point, if you're taking notes this morning. I want to talk about the righteous testimony of the Father concerning the glory of Jesus. So the Father's already given affirmation in regard to who Jesus is. And so Jesus is going to continue to kind of unveil this reality of the Father's testimony. So, but I want to remind us this morning. God the Father is all righteous, He is all holy, He is perfect, His plans, nothing can stop Him. He is magnificent, He is omniscient, He is omnipresent, He is all-powerful, He is everything that is good, the Father is. So when the Father speaks to give affirmation to the glory of Jesus, that means this, that every single thing He is saying about Christ is absolutely true, We should follow it. We should embrace it. It should be a very, very important thing in our lives. And so this testimony comes from the one who is all-sufficient, the Heavenly Father and the Righteous Father who affirms Jesus. Now, Paul also affirmed this as well. This is not just John the Apostle's idea. So listen to this just for a moment. This is Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Titus is on Crete. He gets a letter from Paul saying, I want you to set up things, but this is one of the first things that he tells Titus, that there's this great hope of eternal life that is connected to Christ. And then he says these words, which God, speaking of the Father, who never lies, Paul writes, God the Father never lies, and who promised before the ages began, what did he promise? This one who never lies, who is incredibly righteous, what did he promise? That the that the Messiah was going to come to rescue and redeem people from their sin. And so Paul writes that at the proper time, it was manifested in his word that Christ would come through the preaching with which I have been entrusted, Paul says, by the command of our Savior. So look what Jesus says in 37. This Father, my Father, who is God, who is righteous, I am equal with Him. He, is, he raises the dead, I raise the dead. We are one. He has life in himself. I have life in myself because of that. He says this. He has sent me himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm on this divine mission here on the earth to bring hope and to bring rescue and redemption to people. And so the Father gives affirmation to the Son because the Father sent the Son here. Now all through the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Father's been given this great affirmation. But I'll just say this. The Father gives clear, clear testimony. But the righteous leaders rejected it. They don't want to hear it. They don't have, any, they don't want to have anything to do with it. And so again, look at 37, the first part. This perfect Father has sent me, has himself. He was involved in this. Here's what he's done. He has borne witness about me. This phrase born witness in the greek carries this idea of continual ongoing so that means this right now on august the 2nd 2020 in this very room right now the father is doing what he had always been doing he had been giving affirmation to the glory of his son and particularly in the revelation of the Son in the last 2,000 years in the church. The church gathers, and the church gathers under the affirmation of the Father that we would worship the Son and worship the Father, and, we would, and the Spirit would be involved in the midst of that, the entire Godhead. But, but importantly to see this morning, this point, the Father bears witness on a continual basis. He never stops this, saying this to us, Worship my Son. Listen to my Son. Because the Father has borne witness indeed to Him. So John the Baptist's testimony, it would end. The miracles that Jesus were performing, they would end because Jesus would die. And then He would ascend and He would go to sit. And so um, He would entrust the work of the church to the apostles. Um, but there's one thing that would continue. And it would continue through all of eternity. And that is what we are doing today. It is th- it's this. So how do, we, how do we know the testimony 
of the Father is continuing. We know the testimony of the Father is continuing is because we have been given the Scripture to know what the Father has said. We've been given the Scripture to know what the Father thinks about the Son, what the, what the Son thinks about the Spirit, what the Spirit thinks about the Father, and what the Father thinks about the Spirit. So this becomes for us the most vital thing and the most vital place for our understanding of who God is. So some of these testimonies end in a sense because John the Baptist died. Some of these things, the signs, the miracles that Jesus was doing, he wasn't there present in Israel anymore, so he wasn't doing those miracles. And so the testimony was going to continue, and it was going to continue by the proclamation of the glory of Christ in the Scripture. So the Scripture, therefore, becomes the greatest testimony for us in the church age in regards to who Jesus is. Now we know in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer writes, in the Old Testament, God spoke in various ways and all kinds of things through the prophets, and God did do. They did it in all kinds of things. One time he wrote on a wall. Um, a donkey spoke one time. There was all kinds of unique things that God did in the Old Testament. But then the writer of Hebrews says this, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by the most unique way that he could ever speak. He came himself. And he's spoken to us through his son. And so therefore, this speaking of Jesus in our midst becomes for us one of the most important things that you and I can embrace and take place and, and, and can take place in our lives in regard to following and obeying. So if the Father, watch, if the Father is righteous and the Father affirms the Son, then this revelation that has come to us in the Scripture is exactly perfect. So, so if all of these things have happened and taken place and some of them have ceased in a sense in regard to um, John the Baptist dead, Jesus is not here doing miracles anymore, that the affirmation of Jesus is going to continue, it's going to continue in the Scripture, then I want to pose a question. If this is going to be our greatest place to understand the revelation of the glory of God and the revelation of who Jesus is, do you not think that the Father would make sure that this book would not have any errors in it? so that we would know and not have any doubt about things, and that his hand would be intimately involved in putting together the revelation of Christ in the Scripture. And I would pose this morning that he was absolutely involved in all of this, and we can trust it. I look across this room, and you've got this in your lap, or you've got it on a phone, or whatever the case may be. If, if we couldn't trust in this, we're wasting our time this morning. Because we wouldn't know anything that's secure. We would be hoping that there was something secure. But we know that this is secure because the continual action of the Father is this. To give affirmation to the glory of the Son. But here's what you will hear today in our world. And here's what you'll hear sometimes in the church. Well, could Jesus have said that a little bit different? Could, he, could there be... You know, and I, I've said this before, you know, could, there, God, could we have just three or four more words? And, and it, would, it would make things, make maybe a little more sense about something. And, and sometimes we, we have this longing for more. But I just, I just want to say this this morning. What has come to us is perfect. We don't need another verse to be added. We don't need three or four more words in one of the verses for clarification because of this the continual ongoing action of the father and particularly in regard to the revelation of the father the son and the spirit in the scripture we have been given exactly what we need for all of life and for everything that is important for us in our lives and so all of our wonderings boy i don't really fully understand that you know what one day they're all going to be answered and we're not, I, I think they're probably not going to have any, have any questions because we're going to have perfect minds and perfect bodies. And it's just going to, it's going to settle in our bones that all those things that we made a big deal about and we worried about really weren't that big a deal because we will be in His presence. And everything that we've longed for will be fulfilled as we are with Christ. But there's a danger before we move to point two that you and I need to be careful of, and Haven's going to put these up on the screen. There's a danger that happens sometimes in Christians' lives where 
we have a lack of contentment with the revelation of God in Scripture. And we need to be careful of that. Um, I'm assuming you live in America. Um, People are upset in our country right now, if you haven't noticed that. But I want to say this about truth. Christ followers are to never argue and protest about the truth of God in the Scripture. It just should be settled for us. Now, I'm not talking about all the stuff that everybody's protesting and upset about. I just want to say this to us today as his people, that we ought to be the kind of people that when we enter a room like this, we have already said, yes. Whatever you're going to say today, if we know it to be true, our answer is yes today because we know this, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If that's the case, our yes, our, our yes should just be automatic. Yes, God, to what you're going to say today because it's going to bring the freedom that I need. And so there's just been this great lack of contentment in regard to the testimony of God's Word that seldom embraced sometimes in certain places. Truth, biblical truth should be our great passion. It should never be a protest of ours. We should never fight it and want to change anything. And then I just made this up. And so we also need to avoid what I'm calling the G356 syndrome. And that means this, Genesis 3, 5, and 6. And here's what it is. So God's put Adam and Eve. They're perfect. They're in the garden. God comes and visits with them. God's given them unbelievable freedom to do whatever they want to do, but he's given them one rule. And it's come from his mouth. It's come from his all sufficiency it's come from his wisdom it's come from his love for them and he said this do whatever you want to do but here's what you can't do don't eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden but uh, but you can do whatever else you want to do satan comes along and says god's not really good you can't really trust his word because if if he was really good then he would let you eat of that tree why would he limit you why would he limit you from knowing Something that would be connected to that. So Eve listens to that. She looks at the tree and realizes, yeah, it's pleasing to the eye. It's going to be pleasing to the taste. And she walks over, takes it. Adam watches her. The indication there in the text is he watches this conversation, never intervenes and says, no, God has told us something different, Eve. We're not going to do that. He just watches it. She goes, she eats, she falls she gives to him, he eat, eats, and he falls. And this, the point is simply this. There is nothing lacking in the Scripture that you and I need added to it. It's perfect. It's everything that you and I need. And we have got to avoid the G356 syndrome where we think we need something more. We don't need anything more. And if these two things become a part of our life, then our faith will never be built because faith cannot be built when doubt remains. Now, we live in an uncertain world right now, no doubt about that, but I want to just say that it is, it is, there is a foundation, there is a certainty in the midst of this uncertainty that you and I can trust in. So here's the first point, finish with it. The Father's testimony affirms the glory of Jesus, and Jesus now is going to share with us their response to the Father's testimony about the Son. So look in the, in the second part of 37 and 38. So it says, His voice, Jesus says, You have never heard, and His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So what was their response? What was the Jewish people's response to the revelation of God in the Old Testament? What was their response to the revelation of Christ now in the New Testament? Well, they were consistent. You can say that about them. Their consistency was not an affirming thing. Because what was their consistency? God came to them chose them, made made them His unique people, gave them His laws, His word, 
His identity was connected with them. They were going to be the unique people. And you know what they did over and over again? We're not interested in being your unique people. We want to do our own thing. Yeah, I know you've given us laws, but, but we've got some better plans. We've got some better things that we're going to do. And so you can look at the book of Judges, and there's this cycle that happens in the book of Judges for hundreds of years. They would love God. God would bless them. They would forget God. An enemy would come in, crush them. They would cry out to God. God would raise up a judge, a ruler. He would get rid of the enemy. They would love God. They would, he would bless them. They, he would forget them. And an enemy. And over and over, God would. They, they, this is their response to the revelation of God. And so Jesus here, watch this. The Father has revealed the glory of Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But through the written word of the prophets, the point of the Old Testament text, guess what, was Jesus. The unveiling of the glory of the New Testament text is is about the glory of Jesus and seeing that reality. And so Jesus, standing in Capernaum, we're going to learn that he's in Capernaum now, and he's in a synagogue, and he's talking to the Jewish leaders there. And in 537 he says this, his voice, the Father's voice, you've never heard it. And so Jesus is affirming what was often the consistent case with this people that God had spoken to them and they had said, we're not interested. By the way, this word heard in the Greek here is to be understood with this meaning to not just listen to, but it means to obey. It means to listen to and also obey. So Jesus is emphasizing to them the voice of God has been revealed to you for thousands and thousands of years. He's given you His commands. He's poured out His heart. He's been there with you. And here's what you've consistently done. You've listened and not obeyed. You've listened, uh, you've listened and not obeyed. Yeah, you've just decided to choose disobedience. And here's the big thing. And we love God's Word at this church. If you're visiting today, I just want you to know we love God's Word at this church. We love His Word. If we never apply and we never desire to walk in the Scripture, then they're just words on a page. And I believe they're powerful, I believe they're living, and I believe they're active. But we must appropriate what God speaks and has spoken. It must become a part of our lives. So I spend a lot of time every week getting things ready to proclaim to us on Sunday morning, not so that we have an activity to do during COVID-19 season. I do this because my heart wants to say to you, let's walk in obedience to God because most of the world rejects His voice. And if there is to be a group of people who listen to and obey, it should be those who have been redeemed by the Son of God who died for us on the cross. And so Jesus says to them, listen, you're just like your forefathers. My father spoke to them all the time, and they didn't want to listen. And so watch, the Pharisees, the Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Can you imagine the painstaking task to memorize Leviticus? I mean, just, just first five books. I mean, just, they've got it memorized. They, they are in the Word Loving the Word, reading, memorizing the Psalms, knowing that the coming Messiah, He's coming, but watch, and now He's standing right in front of them. And they've, they've got the Scripture memorized. Moses wrote about Jesus over and over, and we'll look at that in two weeks. All the incredible things Moses said about Jesus. And now the fulfillment of Moses' writings is standing right in front of them. And you know what they're doing? They do exactly what they did in the Old Testament. They reject the revelation of God in front of them. No, we're not interested. You don't fit our model. And so Jesus says, listen, this characteristic of not hearing God, you're just carrying it out because this is what you have always done. Then the second thing he says in the next part of 37, his form you have never seen. So not only do they reject his voice, and that was a consistent characteristic of not being something new, but they rejected his revelation to them. Now this word here that says his form you have never seen means shape. It doesn't mean 
that like if God in all his glory appeared right now on this platform, we would all die. The light and the power and the majesty of his glory would kill everybody in this room today. So, so God in the Old Testament revealed himself in forms um, to people so that they, they, could, they could see aspects of his nature and he was there. During the daytime, he led them by what? A cloud. At nighttime, what did he lead them by? Fire. So they saw form. When, he was on Mount, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and the people were down below and they're like, is Moses ever going to come back? They would look up on Mount Sinai and they could see lightning and thunder. So God was revealing aspects of his form. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They didn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. So they're thrown into a fiery furnace. Three of them are. But when everybody looks into the fiery furnace, do they see three? No, they don't see three. They see four. Why? Because God, likely, it's called a theophany. Christ is in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so a form of who he is was being revealed. Abraham, or excuse me, Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob is, is leading. He's got his two wives. He's got all the stuff that he's there. And he wrestles with God one night. And this is what Genesis 32 tells us. And, and then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And right there it says this, it's, it's, it's there, it's, it's there but not there. It says, and he blessed him, and it means this, that God blessed Jacob right there in that moment. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now listen, church, we need to learn from the mistakes of the Israelites. I mean, gosh, can you, can you just imagine, can you imagine being in the, let's just, let's just do this. Can you imagine being in the first century temple and watching Jesus heal a man who hadn't walked in 38 years? Can you imagine witnessing that? Can you imagine seeing a man who'd been born blind and Jesus makes some mud and rubs it on his eyes and tells him to go wash it off and then he can see? Can you imagine hands from leprosy that are, the skin just grown over and you can't see toes, you can't see hands anymore and the face is disfigured and, and Jesus touches someone and there's fingers again. The face is restored. And guess what they did in the first century? Literally seeing that, far better than a cloud during the day. You know what they did? He's standing right in front of them. They just said this, we're not interested in you. And this revelation of God that has come to us in the Scripture that affirms to us who Jesus is and the Father has affirmed this, you and I better be careful to not reject that and not fall into the place that the Israelites did where they rejected all of this revelation. So, so they rejected His voice. They rejected the form um, and how He revealed Himself. Now look at 38, the first part of 38. And you do not have his word, his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So they had the word on scrolls. They had memorized it. They wore it in boxes hanging from their hair. They had scripture in these boxes. They wrote it on the doorposts and the gates of their homes. But it never made it to their heart. Watch. I think this, I love this, I read this book every single day. In my car, I listen to it. At nighttime, I lay my head on my pillow. And I have the Bible app playing as I, as I go to bed. And when I wake up, because I have to go to the bathroom all the time at night because I'm older, and I, I, it's going, and I have to stop it. If this, all of this, never makes it from the page into our heart, then we're rejecting God's revelation to us. I can't, I just, that's just honest. And, that, and, and that's what Jesus is saying here. 
He's telling these people in Capernaum and these religious leaders, you don't have God's Word in your heart if you reject me. And the reason is, is I'm the point of God's Word. I, I am the fullness of this revelation of God. And so, so think about this for a moment. How much access do we have to the Scripture today? How many Bibles do you have at your house? We've got it on our phones. We have every kind of translation on our tablets. We have so much access to the Bible. You know, the Jews had a lot of access to the Scripture as well. You know what our issue is? Our issue is never the amount of access that we have to the Scripture. Our issue always is the amount of appropriation or the walking, the obedience to God's Word. And so Jesus tells these people, those who have the Scriptures but don't know the truth, they really actually don't know, they don't have the truth. It's actually a rejection of that. And one of the main reasons religious or conservative or liberal people, all people reject Jesus, and the reason they reject Him is because the Word of God is not abiding in their heart. When the Word of God is abiding in our heart, you know what we do naturally? We, we lift our hands and, and worship Him in a room like this. Or um, tomorrow at 2.27 p.m. when something happens at work and there's a crisis and we're wondering or something happens in our family and we're wondering what in the world is going to happen, that's when the Word of God becomes real. And if it's not a part of your life in that moment, then you're going to scramble. And I want to set forth to us this morning that we will worship Jesus in a deep, real way and walk with Him in a deep, real way only when the Word of God is in our lives. So we could sing really passionately this morning. We could greet really friendly and Christ-like this morning. I know we're not supposed to hug, but we do hug. Some people hug. And we handshake and we pray with one another and we check on one another this morning. We can do all of that. And it's just a form of Christianity if our faith doesn't rest in who He is. And I want to say this morning, He's worth every bit of everything that we could ever give. I'm still amazed at grace that it's come to somebody like me. Because I live with me, and I know, I've said it before, what an idiot I can be. I, I know it. I know, I know intimately well. And I've tasted grace, and I don't want to go back. I want more of the glory of who He is. And the, great dan- the greatest danger of rejecting the Word, watch this. Jesus is the point of Scripture, so if you reject the Word, guess who you reject? You reject Jesus, who is the point of Scripture. And so here's the, got just a couple more things before we finish up. Look at 39. Jesus now describes the practice of these people. And everything that they were doing in form and activity was right. So he says, and you do not, in 38, and you do not have his word abiding you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the Scriptures, 39 says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. But here's the deal. It is they that bear witness about me. Look at 39 again. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. I'm going to give several things. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to write quickly. Um, Their practice and the place that they were searching for God was right. They were reading the Scriptures. In reading the Scriptures, very important. But the point of the Scripture, they missed. Because the point of the Scripture is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so they're, in the, they're practicing the right thing. They're in the right place. They're cert, they have the right actions, right discipline. But they're, mi- they're missing the point. Now watch. I want to make an illustration. I love this book. Never do I want to downgrade it. But this book, Scrolls, did not get nailed to a cross. God Himself did. The Scriptures weren't going to bleed and cover our sin. 
the Son of God was going to do that. So they're reading the Scriptures thinking, well, if I just know the Scriptures, then that equals eternal life. No, the Scriptures' point was to point to the One who gives eternal life. The Scriptures... Christopher Hitchens, one of the most well-known atheists, has read the Bible. Hitler read the Bible. Knowing Bible verses does not lead to eternal life, but knowing the One whom the Scriptures point to and believing in Him leads to eternal life. And the Jews had thought, well, if I just know the Scripture, then I've got eternal life. And Jesus tells them there, literally tells them there, no, you don't. That's not how it works. You're searching the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And so they were practicing the right thing, but the point of Scripture was missed. And the point of Scripture is the revelation of Jesus. Let's talk about this just for a moment, um, and, we'll, and we'll finish up. This phrase, you search, in the Greek means to search diligently or to search anxiously. It was applied to miners who would search for precious metals and gold, and they would, they would dig, and they would get down to the bed, and they would, they would find it, and they would find the value that was there in the mine. And so Jesus is saying, look, you, you're like a miner. You're, you're mining the Scriptures, trying to understand them, and you've missed the point of them. Why did they miss the point of them? Well, I think there's three dangers in our study of the Scripture. Two dangers and only one right way to study the Scripture. Let me give you the first danger. is to search the Scripture only in an academic sense. Just to know information. Now, is knowing information important? Absolutely. Know information. That's important. Uh, it's important to know the things that are there. But they never searched the Scripture to find Christ in them. Here's what the Jews often did. Here's how they studied the Scripture. How many words were in the book of Isaiah? Let's, let's find out how many words are in the book of Isaiah. I, I, I do that too. I think that stuff's kind of fascinating. But that's kind of about the furthest place that they went. They wanted to know how many letters were in a certain book. What was the middle word of Jeremiah? And they wanted to find out what the middle word of Jeremiah was. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but nothing is, nothing is new in the last 2,000 years. Nothing is new in the last thousands of years. The Pharisees would go and read texts to support their personal stances on things instead of reading the text for what it actually says. So let me give you an example for 2020. Online or in person, people like us are meeting all over America right now. And on Monday of last week, the pastor came into his office and he had two options. One option was, well, I've got an idea of what everybody needs to hear. And it's this theme, it's this idea, so now I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to find a scripture to support my idea. Or the pastor last Monday went into their office and said, let's walk verse by verse through the Bible, understanding that God has already spoken. The pastor doesn't need to come up with a, a theme for this coming Sunday. God's already given us his theme. Are you all with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about? So you don't do these six-week series on man's felt needs. You proclaim what God has said and spoken because that gives life. So the Pharisees approach that way. We can't approach that way. We've got to approach that all of the text is valuable. All of the text is important. So one of the great dangers is that we just study the Scripture in an academic sense. And it never leads to Jesus. It's just all about knowledge. And so it's possible, watch this, it's possible to study the Bible in the wrong way and never find out the point of what the Bible is teaching. And, and a lot of people do this, this academic sense of things. It fills people with intellectual pride um, that they think that they've advanced to a certain place because of certain knowledge. And don't miss my point. Knowledge is good. Know, 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 know the Bible, but know that the Bible is not about just knowledge. It's about leading to Jesus. Here's the second danger. is to search the Scriptures and to build your own personal Jesus 
that's not a biblical Jesus. Now, in John chapter 6, which is the next chapter, chapter that we're about to step into, we'll be there in three weeks or so, Jesus does this unbelievable thing. Festival's happening. People are coming, coming to, to Israel from all over the world. They're headed to Jerusalem. Jesus stops one day, and all these people come, and there's no food to eat. And so a little boy's brought a lunch. It's brought to Jesus. He blesses it. He multiplies it. Many scholars believe maybe up to 20,000 people were there that day. Everybody ate. There were 12 basketfuls left over, one for every disciple to see evidence in front of them, the miracle work, and be reminded our God does abundant things, and, and he does even more than just the, the daily needs. He's, he's a God of, of great, great things. Now watch. The next morning, everybody who ate fish and bread and their tummies were satisfied and it was a good day they wake up in the morning and jesus isn't there and they're like where in the world is jesus well he sent his disciples on the other side of the lake in a boat and he walked across the water by himself um, across to the other side and when they find him on the other side of the lake they're like hey hey that was awesome yesterday food let's talk about bread are you going to give us some more bread and he's like mm, no not that bread i'm the bread of life I'm going to give you myself. Watch this. The experience from the day before led them to want to create a Messiah that was a baker. Could bake bread for them. And again, there's nothing new. I just, let me just say it out loud to remind us, and I hope to hear some amens or head nods. He is never going to conform to our desires. Ever. Ever. And by the way, we don't want him to to conform to our dark-hearted nature. So the two great dangers is that we search the Scriptures only for an academic sense, and secondly, we search them to build our own personal Jesus. Here's the only way to study the Scripture, to see Jesus. That's it. And he says it himself. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But I want to tell you this. The scripture's point is they bear witness about me. So if you and I are going to study the scriptures properly, we read the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament as a revelation of the glory of Jesus. Now, yes, the Old Testament and the New Testament reveal the glory of the Spirit and the glory of the Father. We know that. But you know the heart of the revelation of the scripture is the glory um, of Jesus and what has been done for us through um, his life. And so where we follow the sacred text, it should lead us always to Jesus. And if you read the Bible and you don't find him, I would put forth it's because you don't want to know him. Um, you don't want to find him. You're blinded by sin or blinded by Satan or you need help with a better method, because ultimately everything comes down to this. If we read them and we really want to know Him, guess what they will, guess what the Scriptures will reveal to us? They will reveal to us Jesus. We'll see it clearly, not in a cloud. It will be there. So you can do this. You can attend a Bible-preaching church. You can be surrounded by God-loving, God-exalting people. You can sing with sincerity during the music worship part. And again, all of that is nice, but it will guarantee nothing about knowing Jesus unless you find him in the Scripture because that's where you're going to find him. And so the greatest encouragement that I can give everybody in the room this morning is this, is just what I just said. Go to the Scripture and find that Jesus is the point. So Jesus tells them here, if you're reading this and you don't see me in the pages, then you don't have the Word of God in your life because I'm the point of all, the, all of this stuff, Pharisees, that y'all have memorized. I'm the point of it all. If you don't find me there, then you don't have the Word in your life. Could they have learned it? Absolutely. Fishermen were learning it. Samaritans in Sychar in John 4 had learned it. So they could have learned it, but sometimes it takes the swallowing of our pride. So what's the point of all of that? The point of all of that is this. 
that if you don't find Jesus in the revelation of Scripture, that He's the point, then you don't ever find Him. You're just surrounded by Christian things. And if you don't find Him there, then guess what? You never find life. And that's what He says in verse 40. Because you refuse to see this revelation of who I am in Scripture, you refuse to come to me to have life. Because I'm the one who can give you life. So you've got to come to me. I'm the point of that. So, you, so the Scripture's saying, come to the Messiah, come to the Messiah, come to the Son of Man, come to the Son of God. But you refuse to come to me because I don't fit your, your idea of what the Messiah is going to do and be. And so they reject him. And the fact that they never came to embrace Jesus reveals that they never understood the Scriptures. For if they had, they would have fallen at his feet and worshipped him. And so when you look at our stacks here, Jesus tells them, listen, John spoke of me, you heard it, and you didn't believe. You've seen my works, my signs, my miracles. They speak of me and you don't believe. The Father has spoken of me and you don't believe. And you search the scriptures like a miner trying to dig out the truth. And they speak of me and you don't believe. This was a huge testimony against them that Jesus gave. But he is magnificent. He's amazing. So I'm going to finish with this. And I want to build some more this morning to what we've been talking about. One of the things I love to do is to to look at a bunch of the names that the Scripture affirms that are kind of unique. They're not, you know, not always there, but they're just in every passage, in every book, but they're just really, really powerful. And, and so there's a, there's a process that we use here at the church. We have a Bible study method called the W-4. If you're ever interested, we'd love to teach you if you have a hard time reading the Scripture. But the third W is Word. And it, the encouragement there is to look and read a text and see are there common words that are said over and over. And if there are, then God's trying to emphasize something. And sometimes we read a text and we go, gosh, that sounds like what Matthew says there. And we go to another book and, and you cross-reference and you look at things. And so I did that this week. And that's kind of what we've been doing with our tower as well is just kind of looking at the revelation of who Christ is. And I want to give eight more just real quick. Jesus loved to use this one. Referring to himself, he was the son of man. It goes all the way back to Daniel chapter 7, that the son of man would come and he would get this, uh, he would take, he would, he would be given um, basically the title deed of the earth and, and, and the earth, the glory of, of the earth. And, and uh, Revelation 1 speaks about that as well. And so he is the son of man. By the way, it's used 81 times, son of man, in the four gospels. Pretty, pretty significant he is the first and the last he is the beginning he is the end he is the alpha and he is the omega and he's everything in between and the writers in the new testament affirm this glorious aspect this is one of the scriptural revelations of who he is and i grabbed the wrong box sorry we're going to come back. I want to have to talk about that one in a minute. I grabbed the wrong thing. Let me do this. I've got to stack them the right way. Sorry. I'm not OCD, but I am OCD about my boxes. So anyway, he is the exact image of who God is. John chapter 14, he says to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. He is the exact image imprint of the Father. If we want to know who God is, he's the exact image. Another unique one is it's said over and over by Paul and John, he is seated at the right hand. He's the, he's the one who's at the right hand of the Father. And because he is there at the right hand of the Father, it reveals to us he is, he's, his work is finished, and he is now doing this. He is interceding, ever living to intercede for us is one of the revelations that the Father and the Spirit have given us and so he is the one who is seated at the right hand fourthly 
He is how John started this book. He is the Logos. He is the word. The word Logos in the Greek means this, the divine reason, the divine point, the divine originator of everything. He is the point of everything. He is the word of God. He is the speaking of God. He is the exegesis of God. He reveals who God is to us. He is the word. Powerful, powerful image. We've talked about first and last. Number six, Isaiah chapter six. And then in Revelation chapter four, the angels and the elders and the people of heaven cannot stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. He is holy. He is different than you and I are. That's a revelation of Christ in the scripture. And then seven times in the gospel of John, and you go all the way back to Exodus 3, Jesus connects himself in John's gospel all the way back with Exodus 3, and he is I am. This is a combination of the Hebrew letters, and it means to be. He's the one who is. He is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And here's the last one. The scripture says this. That he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. And I just want to say it out loud today. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He came to save people from their sin. And if you and I want to build our life on something that's going to last, then you and I are going to build our life on the revelation of Christ that's in Scripture because he's the point of Scripture. And I've got, a, got another little block this morning. I know you're going to be disappointed when the boxes leave and my little blocks are over. But I just want to show you, think how big this is. And here's this little, bo- this little block here. And it says uncertainty. And oh gosh, our world is so uncertain now. What's the future going to bring? What's going to happen with the election? Who's going to be in power? Are we going to have a vaccine? What's going to happen when school starts? Can I tell you something? Who knows? But him. And so if he's not freaking out, which he's not, he's not up there going, oh gosh, why didn't we think of COVID? How did this sneak up on us? That's not what the Father has ever said to the Son. And so in a world of uncertainty, next to the majesty of the revelation of Christ in Scripture, can I ask you a question? Is there anything that is really uncertain for a Christian? No. We have the one in us whose kingdom is unshakable. Unshakable. And that's where we need to build our life standing on that foundation in the midst of the craziness. Are we going to feel the uncertainty? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, what does the future hold? I have no idea. I don't know. That's why clinging to Him is our only hope. It's our only hope. And let's build our life on Him. Let's pray.